Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to our devotional time that we have set aside on Wednesday nights. And uh, I'm going to be studying with you uh, in Hebrews chapter 5. So if you would, go ahead and open to that place, Hebrews 5. We'll be spending our time in that place. I am still here in this almost completely empty building and uh, missing everyone. Sorry that we're not uh, here together. But um, I will say that I was looking around and I saw that one of you left some gum on their pew and I had some. So you can't do anything about it because you're not here and I am. Uh, but uh, I'm going to do my best to preach as though you're all here and uh, talk about these things that I think you'll find uh, relevant. It's good to see you tonight, at least those who I do see. And uh, I'm just kind of preaching by faith that uh, somebody out there will hear uh, in spite of the fact that there are only a handful of us here at the building. So Hebrews 5 is where we're going to be, Hebrews 5, and I want to read this section beginning in verse 11. Hebrews 5 and verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So I've been thinking a lot about this passage this week. The Hebrew writer in this little section is rebuking his audience. He wants to talk about uh, Melchizedek. He says that in verse 10. Uh, and he's got a lot to say about Melchizedek. You know, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, you know that there's an extended section about Melchizedek. But he says, I can't talk to you about that because you can't understand me because you haven't grown like you should. You've become dull of hearing. And I've been thinking about this because as we deal with a time where we're not having regular meetings, we lose some things. And we've talked a lot about in the last couple of weeks how we need to remain in contact with each other, be checking on each other and that sort of thing. But it's no secret that one of the great values of us meeting together is that we have opportunities to study and think about the Bible together. And we hear from other people's perspectives. We don't just hear our own. We look at passages that maybe we haven't been studying. And while all of that is good and positive in itself, it's one of the things that we value about being able to come together, it can also lead to us getting a little bit lazy in our own personal Bible study. Because it means that we don't have to do anything. We just come to church and other people kind of do that work for us. We begin to rely on other people in that way. But it seems to me in a crisis like what we're engaged in right now, it kind of forces us into a position where we have to decide, even in the absence of regular in-person studies, if I'm going to survive spiritually, if I'm going to get the food I need, I'm going to have to learn to feed myself. And that's what I wanted to talk about for a few minutes tonight, learning to feed yourself, that there is a way we can get what we need from the Word of God. And while it's not saying that we can't gain things from other people or that there's no value in other people, it is that all of those things are intended to be a supplement to what you and I are getting from the Word of God ourselves, learning to feed ourselves uh, where we grow to the point that we can take the Word and break it down and make it something that's meaningful to you and me. So I want to take a minute with this passage. As I mentioned, in verse 11, he says, about this, meaning Melchizedek, he says, we've got a lot to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So I, I'm concerned, he says, about getting into Melchizedek because you can't understand us 
because you've become dull of hearing. You're not listening very well at the moment. In fact, there, there's a bigger problem at play than just, you know, your listening is, is off right now. Verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. He says, you ought to be teachers by now, but instead of being a teacher, you need a teacher. And not just any teacher. He says, you need someone to teach you again. Not just teach you again some things you already know, but teach you again the basic principles. That's a word that means the ABCs, the very basics. You need to be trained as if you're a child again. So I can't bring you hard to explain things. I can't bring you solid food. You need milk because you haven't progressed like you should. That's, that's a rebuke. He says in verse 13, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So you're unskilled, you're childish. If you live on milk, the easy stuff that you already know, but you're never progressing, you're never getting any deeper. He says you're still a child. But, verse 14, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food is for the mature, just like with a child. There's a point in which you graduate from milk to solid food. And in the same way, he says, there's a point at which you graduate for the deeper things that are in the gospel. That there are deeper things, but we have to grow into them. And the way we do that, he says there in verse 14, is that we have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So we keep working in the word, and then we keep applying what we read to real life, and then we keep deciding and discerning based on the decisions that we make and based on the situations that we face, what is good and what is evil. So what I want to do is take these ideas and boil them down into a series of statements. The first statement is this. The first statement is just that God expects us to grow. He says there in verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers. I think there is so much in that. The idea is God is evaluating how much we've grown based on the time we've had that by this time I would have expected you to be higher and more advanced than you are. God expects us to reach a point where we master the material and we are ready to teach it to other people. So if we are using the time that we have in Christ properly, we should be stronger, more mature, better understanding, deeper. God expects us to grow. The second thing I want to show you from here is that failing to grow can make the Bible feel like a locked book. I think we probably all felt that way at one time or another. I remember as a, as a young child, I think all young children are, who grow up in church, I guess, are drawn to a book like Revelation. And so you, you're just, wow, what's going on with all these things in Revelation? But it's not as if you understand any of it. It's just a mystery. And so very often it seems to me that even when we're adults, we have that feeling about large swaths of the Bible, that a lot of the Bible, it, it, I don't really get it. I don't understand the point. I can't read it. It seems strange. It is a locked book to us. And I think you have a clue as to why that would be in our text here. He says, you've become dull of hearing. You can't understand. And the reason is, you're not ready for solid food. You need milk. You need the easy things, the simple things, the basic things, because you haven't grown to the point where you can understand something deeper. Paul says something similar 
in 1 Corinthians 3, he's rebuking the Corinthians here. Remember, this is always a rebuke when you see this kind of language in Scripture. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So he says, I, I wish I could talk to you like spiritual people, but I can't because you're not spiritual people. You're a carnal. I wish I could talk to you like a grown person. Instead, I can't because you're babies. This seems so obvious, I, I shudder to even say it. You talk differently to an adult than you do to a baby. There's a difference in how you communicate to a baby versus an adult. And there is also a difference in what you communicate between a baby and an adult. And Paul is saying, I can't talk to you like a grown-up. I have to talk to you like a baby because you are acting like a baby. So in this idea, he is saying, I'm trying to tell you something. I wish I could talk to you about this, but you can't get it because you have failed to grow. When we fail to grow, we lose an ability to understand spiritual instruction. So whether that's Paul speaking or the Hebrew writer talking about Melchizedek or, or us just opening a difficult book in the Bible, what that can feel like is like this is just something that's way out of my league. I could never get it. But that, according to the Hebrew writer, is a function of us failing to grow. So if we want to grow, this passage also tells us how we do that. We grow by eating continually and then by graduating to more complex food. Look at verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. He says you need to be retaught. The simple stuff, you're not even getting the milk you need. Yet when you keep getting enough milk, eventually an appetite develops for heartier fare. And so he says in verse 14, solid food is for the mature, those who have grown into it. So what we're talking about when we talk about this idea of eating continually, taking in the milk and then graduating to solid food, I would like to describe it like this. I think the best description is this is intellectual growth where we learn and understand more and we can begin to understand the deeper spiritual things of life more and more and more as we practice and work through it. We are continually thinking about these things and because of that continual thinking, we deepen. But when we stop eating and we stop paying attention, it's just a matter of time before we need to be fed the simpler things again because we have failed to grow. So we grow by eating continually and then graduating to more complex food. The other way we grow in this text is we grow by training our discernment through practice. That's in verse 14. Verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So maturity also comes when we have taken what we have learned and then we test it out. We do it and we find out what's good and evil. And we spend some time thinking about the difference between good and evil. We live out the word. And then there is also this element when he talks about discernment and training, constant practice. There is this part where we say, 
Well, I thought that was good, but now that I look at it again, I'm not sure that was good. Or I thought that was bad, but now that I look at it, I discover, no, that's not really bad. And so we begin to take the principles of Scripture and live them out and discern. That is wisdom. Wisdom is taking biblical ideas and chewing on them and then living them and discovering just what godly living looks like and feels like. And the Hebrew writer says that is maturity. So when we have the intellectual depth and then we have the experiential depth, suddenly we are a different person. We are mature. I want you to notice, particularly those last two points, that intellectual growth is intended to lead us toward actually living out, practical living. We learn, then we do. And even Hebrews follows that pattern. If you you follow closely the argumentation in Hebrews, there is always a, a teaching section and then a application section. So Jesus is greater than the angels, therefore we pay closer attention to him. Or Jesus became a man, therefore we trust him, that he can sympathize with our weaknesses and that we can go to God through him. But whatever it is, the the information is not enough. It also is intended to be lived. But the living is also not enough if we don't have the information. So when you get all these ideas together, I thought it would be helpful in chewing on some of these things, to give us a framework through which we can learn to feed ourselves, to eat, and then to train ourselves through discernment and constant practice so that we can grow and be mature. I thought it would be helpful for us to be prepared for days where we might not see a lot of our brothers and to continue that process of growth that sometimes is fed into by our assembly times and our sermons and things, but that we also have sustenance on our own, that those things can be a complement to what is already happening as we learn to feed ourselves. So I want to give you four things that I think will be helpful as we think about what do I do to feed myself. So the first is this. The first is just reading. And in reading, we ask the question, what does it say? So if you want to feed yourself, it's going to first rely on getting some new information, taking in something new, and that, of course, is going to be Scripture. We read Scripture carefully, and the goal is to notice the general point, the idea that the author is trying to communicate or the speaker is trying to communicate. So for me, uh, the best way I find to summarize this or to work through the reading portion is when I get done with the reading time, I should be able to, in my own words, restate or summarize exactly what they're trying to say. If I'm reading one of Paul's letters, what is Paul's main argument? I should be able to say it in my own words. Or if I'm reading a section of Jesus' teaching, what is Jesus saying? Or if I'm reading some complex thing like Daniel's prophecies, what is Daniel's point? And if I can get through that section and have a a clear summary of what they're trying to say, then I feel like I have gleaned something from Scripture. I know now what the point is. I want to remind you, Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's an origin idea. It comes from God. It's something that he is the originator of. And Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
So he says, scripture, not only is it from God, but because it's from God, it's useful. You can use it in a lot of different ways. And all of these things are about making people better, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, with the goal that we become complete and equipped for every good work. What he is saying is, Scripture should be read as more than just information. This is not about, what does this say? Can I pass the quiz on the material in this section? Instead, it is intended to change you and make you a different person. So, when we glean the information, we are always gleaning with that end in mind. What does it say that's going to change me or challenge me? We'll talk more about that in a minute. So, A couple of cautions about the reading portion, especially if we're trying some of these things for the first time. It seems to me that very often, uh, just like when we're eating and we're very hungry, our eyes are bigger than our stomach, and the same thing happens with Scripture. We just take in too much information at once. So someone says, you know what? I want to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to read Romans today. And so they read Romans, and by the end of, of Romans... If they get that far, they're, they're more confused than when they began. It may just be too much in one sitting. So be careful about taking in too much or starting too fast or biting off more than you can chew. The other thing I would say about uh, reading at this step, don't assume that you already know something. Uh, probably if, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you're going to be roughly familiar with a lot of what Scripture teaches, but that doesn't mean that there's not more to see and more to understand in a text. That we don't just say, well, I read that that one time, or I heard somebody talk about it before, so I don't need it anymore. Instead, there's always something new in these things. And let me also say this uh, about the reading step. Sometimes we get these Bible reading plans, and uh, the Bible reading plan will usually have a little checkbox at the beginning of the reading, so that when you get done with the reading, you check the box. And it has the feel of, once you've read, you're done. And I just want to remind you, that's not how we grow. We don't grow just by reading, although reading is the first step to that growth. So where do we go from there? The second thing, when we need to feed ourselves, is meditation. This is where we ask the question, well, what does it mean? We take some time with the text. And what we're doing here is we're thinking deeply about what is this text intended to teach. Not just what does it say, but what does that mean? And we start to think about what are some of the directions that this text could go in my life or in my time. Jesus, uh, in talking, this is in Luke 10, Jesus, in talking to a lawyer who challenges him, it says, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, that's Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he said to him, you you have answered correctly, after the man answers him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So I I love this statement because Jesus says, um, what, what does your understanding of the law tell you? In other words, it's not just a reading question. You know, hey, what does Deuteronomy say? It is instead a meditation question. When he asks, how do you read it? He is saying, what do you think it's intended to do? What do you think God means? This whole question of what we do to inherit eternal life, what do you think God would say in answer to that? 
And then when the man answers with the passage, he says, you have answered correctly. He's not saying we all get to read our own thing into it, but he is saying there's more to it than reading. You have to think about it. There is a deeper level than reading, and that's what we're getting to here. What might this mean about God or about me or about my brethren or about the world or about my country? So as an example, what we have done tonight is meditate on Hebrews 5, that text that we began with. And we started just by covering what's in it. You know, what does it say? But then we've spent quite a bit of time thinking about, okay, well, what what might that mean? What might that look like for you and me? And we put it into a series of statements. So, you know, God expects us to grow. Sometimes it makes the Bible feel like a locked book. Those kinds of things are meditations. And I'm going to suggest that you take some time with this step about meditation and thinking about what things mean. Because in my experience, this is where a lot of insight comes in, where you begin to say, I now see something I did not see before because I'm taking some time thinking about the meaning. Third step is conviction, where we ask the question, now that I know what it says, now that I think I know what it means, how does it challenge or change me? So this is the step that bridges the gap between the intellect and action, like we talked about earlier in Hebrews 5. We begin to think about what something means, and then we begin to think about what parts of that might be difficult for us and what we might need to do differently. So uh, just remember, very often Scripture is going to be presenting us with a completely different worldview than what we're used to, a worldview that is sometimes jarring, and how different it is. So we need to think about why is that? What is it in the way I see things or the way my world works that is so different from the way the biblical writers view the world or view this topic? So when I'm in the conviction stage, how does this challenge or how does this change me? Here are some of the questions I like to ask. I ask questions like, why is doing this hard? Why, what makes this difficult? Or Do I agree with this? If I'm just being honest and somebody asks me, what is your opinion? Would I say, yes, I agree with what is said there or would I naturally tend to disagree? In which case, this definitely would challenge me. Or I might ask, are there parts of my life, maybe in my home life, maybe in dealing with my my brethren, are there parts of my life where I struggle with this or where I don't do this? So I'll give you a couple of examples just from my life about the the conviction step. Uh, When I read Hebrews 5, that text that we've read tonight, I feel convicted in this sense. First of all, I feel convicted that I do not want to be the kind of person that's described here. Somebody who's dull of hearing, somebody who needs to be taught again their ABCs. But it also challenges me because I know myself, and one of the ways I might do that is I tend to focus on passages and topics that I'm already kind of comfortable with. And I have my own comfort zone and my own ruts in my study and my preaching. I tend to get complacent and I don't branch out into dangerous territory, biblically or in other ways. So this passage challenges me to say there is value in seeking deeper, richer food in Scripture than what I'm comfortable with. Or... 
For another example, I had this experience this week when I was reading in John 6. And there's a place in John 6, it's uh, verse 44, I think it is, where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And you might be aware of the fact that that has a, a history and kind of a debate surrounding it because of a lot of Calvinistic ideas. Some people take that to be a Calvinistic God's doing all the saving and the drawing. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I believe we have free will. But what can easily happen to me, and I was tempted to it this week, is that I read John 6, and I don't listen carefully to what Jesus is saying because I'm preparing to talk about or think about how Jesus is not a Calvinist. And so I'm not hearing what Jesus is saying because I'm listening through my own lenses. And so that text challenges me because it stresses that God's grace, God's overtures are the key to everything. And the focus there is definitely not on the willingness of man as much as it is on the drawing of God. Please understand, not everything that we read in the Bible is going to convict us deeply. But please hear me. If we find ourselves reading large swaths of the Bible without ever feeling like anything challenges us or like we ever need to change anything, then we are reading too shallowly. We need to go deeper. We need to think deeper about how this applies to our lives and our thinking. Fourth step, if you want to feed yourself, is application. So now that I know what it says and I know what it means and I know how it challenges or changes me, now comes the question, how will I think or live differently? Remember, we train our discernment through constant use, through practice. We must learn to do differently. We act differently because of what we read or else, or else we might not grow. This is James 1, verse 21. This is a familiar text to us. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So there is a danger that we're going to hear the word and deceive ourselves because we think we've done more than we have because we heard it. Maybe we even thought about it, but we didn't actually do anything. So don't deceive yourself. The question is, when we read the word, what now? The question is, when we hear a sermon, what now? When we take a Bible study time and we thought through a text and we thought about what it means to us, the question is, what now? Some of these times are going to involve change. And I think it's important for us to be as specific with that change as we can be. So, it might be simple commitments like this. Today, I know I need to do something to show my wife that I love her like Christ loved the church. Here is what I'll do. I know I need to be more compassionate to people who are suffering. Here is what I'll do. I know I need to pray more regularly. Here is what I'll do. Here is my plan. Here is how I'll change. And that... That is how growth happens, because suddenly we're trying, we're working, and we're refining ourselves day by day. We get a little better and a little better, and maybe then, you know, the enthusiasm for that change may not always be there, and maybe we, we see another area where we need to change, and we go to that, we work on that, and then in time, we just keep working, and we keep working, and we keep changing. 
and we are refreshed by the word. And doesn't it make sense that if that never happened, if we find that, you know, we've been a Christian for 20 years and we're still in the same basic stage that we were when we were first baptized, doesn't it make sense that we might have trouble understanding deeper things? Or that we might have trouble processing and feeding ourselves because solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So those are the four steps to feeding ourselves. And if we will do these, we can feed ourselves. We can read scripture for ourselves and we can apply it and make changes for ourselves. Now it may be that somewhere along the way, we say, you know what, and, and understanding what it says, I'm not sure I'm right. Maybe I could ask someone or talk to someone about that. Or it may be in our meditation, we say, you know, this is, I'm thinking this way, do you think it means that? Or it may be in our conviction point that we say, this is really challenging me here. Does anybody else feel that way? Or it may be that as we apply it, we begin to say, hey, have you ever tried this? Or have you ever had a problem with this? See, we can reach out at any one of these steps and have others help us. But what I'm trying to get at is that the desire, the impulse to grow needs to come from within us instead of us simply waiting for other people to feed us. We have to learn to feed ourselves. Please don't misunderstand me. I am also not saying that this is somehow a substitute for local church life, that if we could just all feed ourselves, we wouldn't need each other, or that somehow, you know, this crisis that we're in is going to mean that we don't ever need to meet together again because we're all self-sustaining Christians. That is not the idea, and that's not my goal. I am simply saying my spiritual life and health is primarily my responsibility, and I need to be able, whether my brothers are able to encourage me or not, to feed myself. So when you hear a sermon or someone in some way is teaching, maybe a class, this whole process looks the same. We read, we meditate, we're convicted, and we apply. Now, it might be that we have a guide in those situations. Hopefully, in a sermon, someone's going to lead us through a study of the text, what it says, what it means, and then how it might apply in our lives. But then, we have to take it from there because we have to apply it and think and live differently ourselves. The difference with feeding ourselves is that we are the ones who have to do these parts on our own. So I encourage you to feed yourself. Decide what it is you want to study and grow in, and if a guide helps you, find a guide. There are tons of Bible teachers whose material is available all the time. In fact, Just through this crisis, more and more gospel preachers have made their teaching available uh, online. You can get online and find just about anybody's material to help you study the Bible. Uh, This congregation, as you guys know, we have daily devotionals that go out every day, every weekday, to try to help us guide our way through the Old Testament. Our website is absolutely full of years of teaching. You can get the Bible for free on your phone. Most of us, by the way, just let me remind you, most of us have much less going on right now than we do most days. So feed yourself. 
Be sure that you're getting the things you need so that you can grow in your understanding and in your practice of Scripture. I especially want to encourage you to make the choice to pursue the things of God, to make the choice to fill your heart with things of God. Choose God during the day. Say a prayer, think on spiritual things, and grow into a wiser and stronger and better person through the power of the Word of God. Feed yourself. If I can help you in that, if there are questions that you have, I would love to be a part of that. But I want to encourage all of us to take that responsibility on to feed ourselves. Let's go to God in prayer about that. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for the time that we've had together tonight. As we think about your desire that we grow, and we think about the deep need that we have to understand and to live in a better way, we pray for your help and for your strength. I pray, Father, for this congregation. I pray for each one of us as we try to live for you on our own and as we work together to help one another, encourage one another, and do work as a group. Father, I pray that we can be connected, that we can stay in communication with each other and encourage each other. And I also pray, Father, that we can stay in close fellowship with you, that we can grow stronger each day and closer to you and your will for us. Help us, Father, to see the blind spots in our lives, the things that we struggle to make changes about, the things that we know need to change but sometimes we don't want to face, or the things that sometimes, Father, Father, Father feel, feel like we're not sure we can ever fix it. And, Father, we ask you to work in us. We ask especially, Father, that you'll use your word to convict us and to change us and to challenge us. And we accept this, Father, because you are in a position of lordship over us. And we submit ourselves to you and to your word. And, Father, I pray that each one of us will take this duty seriously, that we'll look into your word, and that we'll choose to follow you each day. Help us, Father, to feed ourselves as you feed us from your word. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.